0: People are challenging the idea that 100% cloud at scale works. And I think, you know, everything comes with a cost. And the cloud gives you elasticity. And that's always what it's been for. It's if you don't know what your load is like, it doesn't make sense for you to buy infrastructure. It's a complete waste of resources. But if you know and have stable workloads, then it makes a ton of sense for you to put those workloads
1: On-prem, just from a pure cost and engineering perspective, it's cheaper. Hello, and welcome to Code to Cloud. I'm Tim Chase, Global Field CISO at Lacework. And today I'm excited to speak with Frank Wang. Frank is lead security engineer at Headway, a new mental health care system that works to remove historic barriers faced by mental health providers, payers, and patients. Frank, welcome to the show. Hi, happy to be here. All right. So, you know, you've got a, a... kind of a blog, and, and it's a really interesting read for anybody who wants to go out to, frankly speaking, and, and, and have a look through. And you, you do talk a decent amount about cloud security. So I'm curious, you know, what are some of the problems that you see with cloud security today? I think the cloud is interesting. People are still really
0: figuring out what it means for their organization. But I do think a big part of cloud security is cloud kind of changed fundamentally How we build applications, so it made it so that you know now applications deploy quickly. We have unlimited resources. We don't. We're no longer limited by the infrastructure in our company, so we no longer have to do as much of that planning. As a result, a lot of these you know SaaS companies use the cloud, and things just move faster. And so security has to keep up at a very fundamental level. It's like things are moving faster than before. People are operating differently, so there's going to be new types of security problems. And honestly, I think. We're still figuring a lot of them out, and I think one of the big things when we first started was how do we even know what's going on in the cloud before we had our own data centers. And I think now we're evolving to thinking like, hey, developers are moving fast; they're doing all these things that they didn't do before. What kinds of new problems will come out there? And you know, you're seeing tons of companies spending time there thinking about, hey, what are the new problems here that Resolved because we're moving faster and using the cloud.
1: Yeah, it still seems like you know we're trying to solve that visibility problem to me a little bit, which is which is interesting because like if you go back in time, there's been Dome Nine and Redlock and Evident.io, and all of those were attempting to solve the visibility problem. Like, why do you think that that still seems to be a problem today, or is it a problem that you still see with when you think about cloud security? I think it's a pretty big problem,
0: and Maybe my take on it is that we're never going to fully solve it. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be hard. I think there's a number of reasons for it, that visibility is hard in the cloud, is that we've kind of outsourced our management of infrastructure to someone else and have them develop it. But it's hard for us to keep up, right? Before, when we had our own infrastructure and our own tooling, no, the security team and the IT team were on the same team. We knew what they were doing. We kind of, we, we saw what was happening. Whereas with the cloud, like AWS is coming out with new features. If you go to, I'm sure you've been to re It's There's oh, yeah. so many features you can't keep track of. And like what our developers doing, what new APIs are there. And so I think it's just much harder to keep track of all the changes that are happening in the cloud, let alone developers who are now using these. And then as your team expands, it kind of compounds on itself. So I think visibility is always going to be a pretty big problem. And then we have to just really decide, you know, at some point, in my opinion, what matters most and what's the highest risk and what we really need visibility in, because I don't think we're going to get complete visibility for the reasons
1: I said earlier. It's just tough. It's just tough. Well, how do you think cloud security could improve? Like if you're kind of waving your magic wand and you're thinking about ways that that the, the industry could improve or what we as cybersecurity leaders and doers could do better? Like, how do you think cloud security could improve? I think there are are a number of ways.
0: I think generally in the industry, a lot of the cloud providers, I think, need to spend a little bit more on security. I know some do. I know Mm -hmm. AWS has some offerings, but people are still kind of figuring out how to use the cloud, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so... I think a lot of the security tooling is just still figuring out what are the major threats and getting data and we don't quite know. I think that's a piece. I think the second piece is kind of something I usually advocate for is that we just need more technical people at this point in the cloud maturation process, right? To be working on security. I think before we understood infrastructure on-prem very well and it was very easy to have security operations people just doing Security things, a lot of it was known. There's just been a longer history, but cloud, a lot of it is new. We need to do more research. And I think, unfortunately, the cloud is just a way more technical product at this point in time. The abstractions haven't been built, right? And the yeah. way I think about it is that it's similar to operating systems. For a long time, we cared about like operating system security. And now no one, like developer, doesn't even have to know how an operating system <laughs> works. That's true. And so, kind of, a lot of the tools have kind of been abstracted away from us. But we're not quite there with cloud. So I think for now, like we still need a lot more people with like technical knowledge working on cloud security, not as much operations. I think there needs to be a mix, but I would say if you had me choose it'd be more on the technical side.
1: Yeah, I I think even to some extent, one of the things that I think is lacking potentially is even leadership having an understanding of cloud security, right? Like we talk about some of the engineers on the lower level, but one of the things that I... Read about and I and I talk about is sometimes you know those CISOs, those leaders that are you know leading security at an enterprise or at a company, like they don't really understand cloud security. So it's like, how can they, how can they secure it if you know if they don't understand it?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's tough for them because it's a fundamentally new technology that a lot of them haven't maybe encountered most of their career. Like I grew up mostly, you know, in my career thinking about the cloud. I think cloud security had kind of just started to take off or the cloud as a general concept had started to take off. And we we're concerned about very, very basic problems like, hey, is AWS going to lose our data? We don't have control over our data kind of stuff. But I think now it's hard for CISOs, I think, who have spent most of their career in data centers to really change a lot of their models into the cloud. And I yep. think Maybe the thing is we can't change. We have to just have new models. And that that could be a huge lift for a lot of people.
1: I know we've talked about on-prem and cloud and and, and security leaders, but one of the things that I'm seeing today, and I'm wondering if you're seeing it or what you make of it, is kind of a a trend or at least people talking about having some sort of going back to a hybrid mix where they're taking some workloads off of the cloud, putting them back on-prem and then having kind of maintaining this, this hybrid thing where you've got infrastructure in both places. You know, what do you think of that? And are you seeing that as a trend or are you just hearing people talk about it, but maybe not execute?
0: I think it's definitely a trend. I mean, from an engineering standpoint, it makes sense. You've seen all these articles. I think Martin Casado has it from a 16 Z where he says the cloud is super expensive. And I don't disagree with that. And I think, you know, everything comes with a cost. And the cloud gives you elasticity, and that's always what it's been for. It's if you don't know what your load is like, it doesn't make sense for you to buy infrastructure in case you have 100% utilization, you buy that. like It's a complete waste of resources, and the cloud kind of gives you that. But if you know and have stable workloads, then it makes a ton of sense for you to put those workloads on-prem, just from a pure cost and engineering perspective and it just makes it's cheaper i think there's there's a little bit of overhead but i think people are challenging the idea that 100% cloud at scale works and i think it, it doesn't probably because you know amazon has to charge your premium and that's kind of happens with all external services at a certain point in time and so i would say like you're going to see more stable workloads i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of you know, machine learning workloads or AI workloads aren't part of the critical path move back on prem because it's just cheaper to run there than it is in a in the cloud. And I think we we're starting to see some of some of those. And so it, it's kind of interesting. I don't know where it's gonna land, but I really think the elasticity portion for for the for the cloud is one of the main use cases is that, hey, you have a sudden spike of users. There's no way you want to you know, be only using the cloud, your infrastructure at twenty percent utilization, but then you're hoping that you know during holiday season goes up to a hundred percent, and you're you're leaving stuff idle around.
1: I mean, it's nothing like some you know seven figure per month cloud bills to make you rethink kind of your overall vision, right? I think I think at the beginning people were like, we're moving everything to the cloud, and then they're like, oh wait, now wait, you know, it's going to cost us a million dollars a month to do that. We we might want to might want to rethink that right so that's i am i'm curious to see how that plays out over the long term hopefully they'll have some sort of a, of a balance there that that makes sense which will put pressure on you know security teams and and security vendors to i guess be able to support both and do a hybrid hybrid model let's shift over to to you and your learnings you have worked at a couple of startups been the first security hire so so what i'm curious i think we had to talk about this The first time that we met, if I remember as well, like, how do you build trust? Like coming into an organization, you've got development teams, you've got engineering teams, and and you're the first security guy, right? Which is not always an easy place to be because you're going to tell people no, you're going to stop them from doing things. So, you know, how do you come in and and build that trust to, to make your job impactful, to make the work that you're doing successful? It's a hard balance between taking the right amount
0: of risk and making sure you don't upset people or like prevent them from kind of achieving their business objectives, right? And yeah. I think a lot of it is that a lot of times security people are quick to say no. I think at startups, that's, that's very hard. And I think the best summary I have is that you should focus on enablement instead of enforcement to start, which means like, how do I enable people to have the best security practices in a sustainable way and then push very hard until you exhaust all possible enablement and then go toward enforcement? And I think that, that works better earlier on at a company. I think at a certain point when a company gets big, enforcement definitely makes sense. It's hard. Otherwise, like, you know, you need policies in general, right? Like people have mm-hmm. stricter HR policies, stricter employment policies, stricter like policies across the board as as you become a bigger company. But I think when you start, I think the focus on enablement and then just like building relationships across different orgs, like getting context before actually creating a policy to make sure, hey, like let's start at a point that makes sense for everyone and slowly ramp up that amount of security you might have to do in that area, understanding what people's business objectives are. And I think sometimes if you have too much enforcement, it also overloads the security team which I'll be small because people are going to come and ask for exceptions or they're going to be blocked on their work and you never want to be the bottleneck i think you want to cuz then people skirt skirt the policies right and That's true, inevitably right, yeah. and and i think you know you have to have a little bit
1: of of credibility and feel like you're a partner rather than someone who's like an enforcer you've mentioned the word business a couple of times in your answer so what do you think security should do to enable the business? Like, what should should we be a partner? Like, what should our relationship be to the, to the business? Because we we talk about security and IT security and operations, we don't always talk about security and business. So, I, I love your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I think this is an area security folks in general we need to work on because security has become more and a more important part of the business in the way that at least at the two companies I worked with, we we hold a lot of data. You know, our customers, people who mm-hmm. use us, entrust us with that data, right? And that trust is an important part of business. Mm-hmm. And I think a good example here is, I don't think Apple is making more money by spending, I mean, they are in some way, but there's not a direct business impact to doing privacy-related work. But they're building trust and trying to make it so that they're, the trust is enabling the business not so much like the privacy itself right it's the kind of the consequences of having this focus on on trust is important because i think people are a lot more aware of all the security issues out there nowadays there's just more press around it and i think having having that type of trust and you know believing that the company has your best security interest in your in mind is pretty important and i think it enables business and so I think when you start, so that's, I think, one piece. It's like there's this way more focus on kind of using security as kind of a differentiator. I think that's one major piece. I think the second piece is that security is just more part of business in general, right? Because there's, we're using a lot more technologies. We're use, there's a lot more data. It's just everyone, every like part of any business not even technology businesses are like more tech focused and there's a lot more risk and concern. And so you want to make sure you're enabling those businesses, not blocking them from like achieving their objectives. Cause in my mind, security can't get funded if they're the
1: company's not making money or getting revenue, right? Because we're blocking the revenue. Yeah. Security is a differentiator is one that we don't always talk about, right? Like we talk about security and tying it to the bottom line security as it as it relates to goodwill, right? Sometimes, like, if you have a breach and then you you lost goodwill, you may lose 20% of your customers. But security as a differentiator is an interesting one. Like, I'd love expand on that a little bit more. You know, you mean, I assume you mean if we're going to secure your data better than our competitors will.
0: Yeah, I think this is a new area. We're still, people are still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. I think before... It's not that people didn't care about security. I think people didn't really evaluate security as much. It was felt like a checkbox, right? Like a lot of these vendor security views was was a checkbox. And I think now when people look at vendors, like all things being equal, the company that takes security more seriously, it just feels like a more sustainable business model, right? When I purchase a product or something, I I don't care about what it is now. I care about how they view the future and you know me maintaining this product like it's never about like hey how do I use this I'm not going to use this product for one day and leave it right it's like when you buy a car you're going to buy a car that's safe not because it's safe today it's kind of will be safe going forward and is kind of very future looking too and so I think a lot of people start thinking that security is actually a very important part of being future-proof like will this company actually build the right security features that will like lead me into the future. And that makes my life easier because if new regulations or if the threat landscape changes, like, do I have confidence that this company will actually adapt and not become a liability for me?
1: No, that, that's great. I think that people, as they've kind of become more aware of the data and around cybersecurity and they see it splash in the news, it seems like everybody has a little bit of a education, you know, around it. So using it as, as a differentiator is a good one. And I think it ultimately, you know, the board and the executives can help understand that and and maybe tie that to some funding or, or what have you. But like, when you think about security in in general, cybersecurity in general and the industry, you know, we, we both been in it for, for a while. Like, what do you think needs to change? We're, we're not perfect. We're always adapting, you know, we're adapting to the threats. Like you said earlier, like, what do you think needs to change in our industry? Just kind of what comes to your mind? I think when I started in the industry, there was a lot more of FUD,
0: right? With the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And that was being sold as a reason to buy products or have security. And I think that's a very operations focused mindset. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense, but I think it's it's losing its effectiveness in many ways because I think it's like the person who cries wolf. It's like you 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 cry wolf all the time and when there's something, you know, that suddenly happened, no one takes it seriously. And I think it's important to kind of like have a way more measured approach. So I think earlier I brought up enablement. It's like, hey, start with enablement, but there are places where you need to really enforce when you believe there's there's the right amount of risk that you're like, hey, we can't do this, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the problem here is that no one can agree around the risk in some way. And second, the landscape is just changing so fast. People are using outdated risk models or thinking about risk in outdated ways like you described before, right? It's just like, hey, like, how does the risk change in the cloud? I think no one knows. And it's not that we're making it up. We're all figuring it out. And I think it's important to acknowledge that rather than acknowledging like, hey, all these bad things will happen. I can't figure it out right now. So like, let's do nothing, right? It's like, oh, how can we partner together to figure out what the risk is? You have this context. I have the security context. Let's have like a real conversation about what's actually going on and what's important uh, rather than just saying, no, and just completely shutting down the conversation. So I think a lot of the approaches need to change in how we do security and kind of thinking about. And I think we're seeing this. It's like a lot more people are partnering with engineering teams and believing mm-hmm. that partnership is important. And not we're security is not this is island that sits there that's just enforcing policies on people and just like sending emails that saying do this or else. So I think those parts are changing, but I think we need to change a lot more for how fast the landscape is changing
1: yeah i mean i think you had a couple of good points in there you know one is i think it used to be a lot simpler to understand the landscape right when i first started doing it you know you've had your malware you had your ids maybe a couple of other tools and and that was about it but now probably since you know the 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 amount of money in security turned you know just skyrocketed and ballooned. Now everybody's trying to sell you a solution, make the skies falling. Like how many? I mean, I'm getting emails now about you know, quantum computing is here. Have you secured your quantum computing? And I'm like, well, holy crap, it's been here for two seconds. Like I don't need that yet, right? Like, and so it's kind of trying to create the that, like you said, the fear, uncertainty, and, and doubt. And so it feels like we we have to, and we're doing a better job of really knowing what our risk model is. Where we should focus our our time and effort, right? So that was that was that was a good point. And then and then the other one, you know, that you mentioned around engineering, continue to to work with them more. That seems like it's a natural consequence of DevOps in the cloud. Maybe I think those have kind of skyrocketed, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. But like as those have skyrocketed, that's really forced the the engineering and the security teams to kind of work together more.
0: Yeah, I definitely think the the move toward DevOps in the cloud and just faster deployment cycles have kind of forced the situation in many ways, because a lot of times people just can't wait for security. And so Mm -hmm. as a result, things have just gotten a little bit more technical. As as I said earlier in the podcast is, you know, it's, it's hard. I think it's an impossible task to ask a lot of the security people to do all this work and learn all these things. I think it'll lead to burnout. But yeah, I think that's, that's definitely one big, big difference I'm seeing or trend I'm seeing that's A change that needs to happen, but at least it is seeing, we're seeing positive trends in that direction.
1: Hmm. Agreed. Let's shift and talk to to you and your career. How did you first get involved in IT and security? Oh, man. So that's that's a while ago. (laughs) I got interested in
0: security actually in college. I was looking for something where you can do a little bit of theoretical work, which is interesting to me and a little bit of hands on work and kind of looking at the difference between theory and practice. From what I saw as a college student at the time, I don't know how I would view it now, but <laughs> it was there were only really two fields. It was this AI machine learning stuff, which was kind of in a winter at the time, or it was kind of coming back up, but we didn't quite have the compute power. Only very few people had access to the compute power like the big mm-hmm. tech companies did. Or you can do something in security where there's a mixture of like threat modeling, cryptography, and then kind of hardening of systems. And I said, Hey, look, this, this seems interesting. I was always interested in security. Um, and so I said, Hey, let's, let's do this. This is interesting. I did it for a little bit. And I think the government at that point started to getting really interested in security. And I went to grad school. There was a ton of funding for cybersecurity. My advisor mm-hmm. basically said, Hey, no one wants to do security. Do you want to come? I have all this grant money. Really? Yeah, from, from, from you know, Department of Defense, NSF. They were all funding these initiatives. Um, but there were, there weren't a ton when I first entered grad school. And so that was great. I said, hey, look, this sounds interesting. It's not that popular, but there's a lot of funding. It's interesting. Why don't I try it out and see where we go? And so, you know, usually if you're in a field that has a lot of money, but then not that many people, you get a good amount of freedom and flexibility, <laughs> which is nice. And then I think circa 2014, a lot of the major hacks happened with like Home Depot and Target, kind of impenetrable organizations. And I think the funding only increased, but now there was kind of way more interest. And so I kind of stuck with it. I'd been around, you know, I got in, the community was much smaller back then, as you might imagine, Tim. Like, I'm sure you've seen the, world and security grow like exponentially like even if you look at like a lot of the trade shows like black hat and defcon and so um i like the community back then kind of stuck with it it grew i kind of grew with it and you know it didn't seem prudent to even change and i really enjoyed it i like the community and i think everyone the nice thing is that at least everyone here feel you know security is a place where everyone has kind of the same collective goal right like we all want to make things more secure it's not kind of like a competitive, like, hey, like I'm going to do this
1: better than you kind of situation. Even amongst competitors in the space, right? I think I've mentioned this before, but like I've, I've went to, you know, like a financial services security conference, right? And so you've got all of these big banks and financial institutions that are there, and, but they're there talking to each other, right? It's like the CISOs know the CISOs and they, they sit down and they, they're on panels and things. And, and it's it's a community, like they're sharing, here's what we're seeing here, are the attack vectors we're seeing, here's what we're doing to protect, right? It's not like it's a trade secret. We're not going to talk to each other. And so that is one of the cool things about the security community. I feel like when you mentioned DEF CON and Black Hat and those like, you know, I've talked to some outsiders that are like in the testing community in general, like functional testing. And they're like, I would love, like we don't have that over there. Like every, Like everybody just goes, but nobody's talking. It's not a community. But when I went to Black Hat, it was like, holy crap, everybody's talking to each other. We all have the same goal. It, it's 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 amazing, right? So I do happen to, as an aside, love that about the security industry as well. But you've been doing it for a little bit now. What is one of the bigger learnings of your career to date? I think this might be a controversial learning, but I it's I that, love those.
0: No one really knows what they're doing. We're all trying to figure <laughs> it out as we go. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I mean, not to say it in like a way that is, is kind of negative. It's just like, hey, like security is hard and we're all trying to figure it out. And, you know, it's hard to know everything in security, especially since both the threat landscape has changed and expanded. And so everyone is, you know, trying to do their best and figuring out what's going on. I think we described earlier is like, hey, a lot of things are evolving, things need to change. And you no, know, there's just a lot going on and it's hard to keep up. And I think I've learned that you just can't keep up and you just figure it out <laughs> as you go. I, mean, I think you can't let it paralyze you yeah. because the attackers are out there and they're working hard and you can't get paralyzed by all the things that are going on. And so it, it's going to kind of be a continuous learning experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, that's why I got into it anyway. Like it, it's, it's a continuous learning experience. You know, I don't I don't like doing repetitive things. It, you know, kind of just, I get bored. And so that's one thing that I love here, but I do like that approach of that. No one, you know, really knows kind of what they're doing. Everybody has a different view. You know, I have a feeling that five CISCOs could go into the same organization and come out with a different plan of how to secure the organization. Right. I would test that. I would test that theory. And, you know, I talk to a lot of security leaders and, you know, they do things differently than I would. And and that's fine. Right. So we're all just trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out where the attackers are going to come from, what methods they're going to do and how we're going to how we can best protect that. But what's one thing that you have tried maybe in your career or in your you know in your in your education whatever that, that just didn't work.
0: Building out security processes too early especially at startups is like a tough thing in my mind. People have too many things going on to like remember everything that's going on and so I've kind of like had this, I've tried to like operationalize security too early almost, and it's never uh-huh. really worked out. It's just like, hey, like I have this process of doing like security reviews or, you know, vulnerability management. It's like very slick and considers everything and like almost never gets adopted, right? And I think that's kind of, I've tried that. I've tried to kind of like, hey, like, how is it that I can not go around as much and scale myself. And I think it's a little hard early on. And I think I always underestimate that in a way because you just have to kind of be working with people and partnering very closely rather than kind of being aloof and having people follow this document. I think like the interaction early on to build the muscle and ramp up is more important than actually building a process and getting everyone to align, Um, at least early on in a startup and in an organization's maturity.
1: No, I like that. Focus on the partnering, focus on working with them to understand their goals. Once you've got a rapport, once once they kind of understand, everybody understands what we're trying to do, then maybe put some, that kind of goes back, I think where you're talking about some guardrails, at least establishing some processes, just kind of doing it a little bit at a time so you don't come in too heavy handed. That's, that's good advice. And if someone came up to you and asked, you know, how do I get into cybersecurity? Like what advice would you have for that person?
0: Oh, that's a good one. People ask this ask this to me all the time. I, I, I mean, I have a belief on it, and I think if you ask five different people in security, mm-hmm. they have a belief. I think you have to decide which way your career is going. But I do think a lot of the times it's easiest to do security. Nowadays, and I think going forward, if you've kind of focused on understanding a lot of the technical elements, right? And I think a lot of people start by learning the tooling but I think it's important to understand what the tooling is trying to do and understand a lot of the fundamentals. So, for example, is, hey, you're securing, you know, we've been talking about the cloud a lot. Like, you're securing the cloud. Like, how does the cloud work? What's going on in the background? And so kind of thinking about, like, hey, what can go wrong? And then, you know, reading about it, talking to practitioners. I I feel like the most successful people um, I, I know in security are ones who, come from a non-traditional background, to be honest, but they kind of are willing to learn and are people who are very kind of just like open-minded and are, are kind of very intellectually curious. And so I think approaching it from an intellectual curiosity standpoint is good. And just a lot of times it's also just focusing on solving one problem in security. A lot of times it's like people ask me this question, like, should I get this certification or that? And I said, hey, why don't you go work on a team with people who already know or people who are tangentially working on security, talk about the problems together, like truly understand what's going on. And I think that helps you develop the intuition for security because I think a lot of what we do is somewhat like intuit, like has to be an intuitive muscle that mm-hmm. we build.
1: So Frank, you know, you talked about what advice you would give to people, but how would you solve the, maybe some of the cybersecurity shortage problem, right? I think getting people trained and to, to to be able to maybe solve some of the 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 number of open roles that we're seeing these days can be can be a challenge. So do you have any thoughts on how the industry as a whole can maybe solve this? I think
0: people have been talking about this for as long as I remember, for almost the past decade. I think we've come up with a different solution different solutions. I think there's obviously different ways to tackle this problem. I think investing in more cybersecurity. Talent programs or education, I think is important. I think for a long time there was just not enough people to even teach the classes in cybersecurity, and some universities just didn't have it, so people didn't really know and had to learn on the job. And there weren't that many people who could learn on the job either. So I think that's always one piece. I think that's a longer term initiative. We're gonna see dividend from it maybe in another decade. <laughs> yeah, And it's not gonna solve a lot of our short term problems. I think. From in terms of short shortages now, I think we have to figure out ways to scale people better. And I think traditionally security has had a lot of these tools that just are highly not automated. Right. And it's just like, they're very operations heavy and we all know what these tools are. And, and you have to hire people to, to, to manage them. And so engineering has done a pretty good job of scaling. So I think a security needs to focus a lot more on automation, kind of figuring out what processes they can make better and automate a way. I know it's scary, but I think we just have, we have to deal with this shortage. And we have to kind of encourage people to go toward tools that are actually solving problems in a sustainable way, rather than having to scale them out with with people and people with very specific knowledge. And I'm, you know, for those who read my blog, I'm like a huge proponent of like, having more software engineers work on security. I think security is not easy to learn, but it's not hard to learn. I think the the scaling abilities and development processes of software engineers kind of can translate pretty well into security and like help people scale a lot better, prevent single points of failure. And so I think it just seems like it's worked well in the software industry, and we just need to figure out how to make it work for us
1: in the security industry. I love it. That's a great answer. A couple of rapid fire questions for you here before we wrap up. What is one tip you would offer listeners to increase their cybersecurity? Always use MFA. <laughs> that's right. That's a, that's a great one. And it's and it's funny how that's how that's still a thing, but it is, right? What's the most important habit an IT leader can have? Ooh, this is a good one. Being intellectually curious. Mm, very true. Never stop learning. Always ask questions. I love it. All right. We've talked about your blog a couple times. If I remember right, it's Frankly Speaking on Substack. Is that right? Yes. And is that the best place for them to connect with you? Is there any place else like LinkedIn or how could people?
0: Yeah, you can you? connect with me on LinkedIn or send me a message on LinkedIn. My blog, I kind of people sometimes subscribe to it and can reply there. So those are usually
1: the two best places. Perfect. All right, Frank. Thanks a lot. That is a wrap for today. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time on the Code to Cloud podcast.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Lacework, the leading data-driven cloud-native application protection platform. Lacework is trusted by nearly a 1,000 global innovators to secure the cloud from build to run. Lacework delivers true end-to-end protection, empowering customers to prioritize risks, find known and unknown threats faster, achieve continuous cloud compliance, and work smarter, not harder, all from one unified platform. Learn more at lacework.com.